Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. A new king arises over Egypt who does not know Joseph and fears that the Israelites pose a threat to his power. The new pharaoh forces them to perform brutal labor, building the garrison cities Pithom and Ramses. Despite the bitterness of slavery, the Israelites continue to thrive. So Pharaoh orders the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah, to kill any Jewish boy at birth. The midwives are pious, however, and they don't follow Pharaoh's rule. Pharaoh then orders every Egyptian to throw the Israelite boys into the Nile to drown them. A Levite woman, Yocheved, bears a son and hides him for three months. She then fashions a wicker basket to float her son down the Nile, hoping that this journey in a basket might allow him to survive. The baby's sister, Miriam, follows on the shore and sees that Pharaoh's daughter takes the child as her own. Miriam offers the services of her mother as a wet nurse, and Pharaoh's daughter names the child Moses. When Moses, as an adult, walks among the slaves, seeing their oppression, he is so outraged by the sight of a taskmaster beating a slave that he kills the Egyptian. The next day, he tries to stop two Hebrews from fighting, and one accuses him by saying, Who made you chief and ruler over us? Pharaoh tries to kill Moses, who flees to Midian. And by a well of water... He defends the seven daughters of Jethro, the priest of Midian, against other shepherds. And the women invite him home. He stays and marries one of the daughters, Zipporah. They have a son whom Moses names Gershom, meaning, I was a stranger in a strange land. Pharaoh dies and God determines to free the Israelites. Moses sees a bush that burns, but it is not consumed. God calls from the bush, commanding Moses to remove his shoes since he is standing on holy ground. Then God tells Moses that he is to go to the new Pharaoh and insist that he let the Israelites go. To bolster Moses' credibility, God reveals the special divine name, Ehiyeh Asher Ehiyeh. God instructs Moses to turn his rod into a snake to convince the people of his authenticity. As Moses sets out for Egypt, God calls Aaron, his brother, to meet him in the wilderness. They assemble the elders of Israel and the people who are now convinced to follow Moses. Moses and Aaron then appear before Pharaoh, demanding in the voice of the Holy One that Pharaoh let my people go that they may celebrate a festival for me in the wilderness. Pharaoh refuses and ordered the taskmasks to make the Israelites' labor even more onerous. In those few sentences, you are introduced to the story of Exodus 1 through Exodus 6. 
Jews throughout the world begin study of the book of Exodus this week. The liturgy calls for a parashah, a weekly section of reading, to be consumed in each and every synagogue um, until the book of Exodus is completed. The story, at least in part, is known to all of us. Perhaps you've read the book of Exodus. Perhaps you saw the original movie with Charlton Heston. Perhaps you saw the animated version, The Prince of Egypt, by Steven Spielberg. Perhaps even you've seen some of the updated versions that have been in the movie theater. Or if you didn't read the original, you read a child's version of the story. The story itself is well known. It's the story of transformation from the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the people of Israel. And there are three main characters in this epic story. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Brothers and a sister. Who are they? We know so much and we know so little about them. We all have some sense of who Moses is. And we all know what he accomplished. But this morning, I want to chat with you a bit about Miriam, the big sister, the one we know the least about, at least perhaps the one we speak about least. Her roles in the movie and in the animated films are minimum. It seems like her greatest role is to ensure that Moses gets safely into the water and that his basket is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. You know, the exodus from Egypt was marked by the leadership of the three children of Amram. That's where told Moses is and Aaron and Miriam's father. And wherever they are mentioned in the Bible or in the writings of the sages, there is a tendency to refer to them as one unit. Different as they were in character and personality and role, the three are inextricably bound together in a way that exceeds the ties of a family or a generation. Each of the three leaders had a particular role to play in the redemption of Israel. Moses, of course, was singular, the emissary of God struggling before the Almighty for the sake of the people of Israel. His essential role was to represent not the Jewish people, but rather God within the nation. He was not the chosen or even accepted popular leader of the people. One could say that he was foisted upon them. But Mo, both Miriam and Aaron, on the other hand, are seen as representatives of the nation. The redeemers acting from within, not from without. They were the leaders of the people in their Egyptian exile, rising from the ranks and preparing Israel to accept the prophecy of Aaron. It is said in the Torah that Miriam and Aaron were prophets in their own right. 
That is, their vision was not dependent on that of Moses. It becomes apparent, too, that Miriam was the leader prophet of the women of Israel, while Aaron was the leader of the men. This is evident even after the crossing of the Red Sea following the great song, Exodus 15, which Moses sang in honor of all Israel. And Miriam separately organized the women in response to what is known as Shiratayam, the Song of the Sea. And the text in Exodus 15:20 says, the women danced with timbrels and sang as they danced. The role of a woman's chorus is a common phenomenon in Middle Eastern culture and may have been even greater antiquity than the male chorus. As in the Song of Deborah, the singing from the Book of Judges, the singing of women usually accompanied by timbrels and dancing gave expression to war, battle, and yes, to miracles. Frequently, the song was led by a solo singer who would compose the litany as she went along. The singer was therefore first and foremost a poetess whose task was to articulate and summarize the historical experience or to arouse the nation to cope with the present or forthcoming challenge. The Song of Miriam is the first instance of such a song in the Bible and thus indicates that she was not only the sister of Moses and Aaron, but also a leader in her own right. I want to read to you a bit of Shira Tayyam, the song of Miriam from Exodus 15. We won't read it in the synagogues until the Shabbat of February 11th, but you get a flavor so this is Shiratayam. When Moses and the Israelites sang this song to God, they said, I will sing to God, for God is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. God is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. God, your right hand is glorious in power. God, your right hand shattered the enemy. I'm just going to skip to verse 11. God, who will like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. You will lead the people you have redeemed with your faithful love. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with all your strength. And then finally it ends. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your possession. Lord, you have prepared the place for your dwelling. Lord, your hands have established the sanctuary. God will reign forever and ever. Now, there is the, 
verse 20, Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, Shiru Ladonai, for God is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. The first poem in the entire Torah. You can tell the song of Miriam is the first instance of such a song in the Bible and it indicates the power that she had as a leader. The sages pointed out the special gifts associated with each of the redeemers on the journey to Canaan. Mana is what Moses gave the people. Clouds of glory is what Aaron offered the people. And a well of water, the sages tell us, was what Miriam offered to the people in the desert. Hence the persistent tradition of the sages regarding Miriam's well, which according to rabbinic lore, is a wandering well. In Talmudic times, for instance, it was said that Miriam's well could be found in the Mediterranean Sea and seen from the heights of Mount Carmel. In other generations, it was said that the well was in the Sea of Galilee. Many contemporary commentaries and legends throughout the Jewish history have told of a striking Miriam's well as a source of water, as a miracle-working spring, which is, appears as a fountain of healing and redemption, and then vanishes. Beyond the national role of Miriam and her place as a leader and a prophetess of her generation, if that were not enough, in the text she is primarily the sister of Aaron and even more so of Moses. According to the Torah, she is the big sister of the family and as such was naturally in charge of all the younger children. Even in the biblical description of her family relations, one may perceive the special attitude of her older brother and the feeling of responsibility toward their younger brothers. One senses it is not only when baby Moses was placed in the ark, but even over 80 years later, when Miriam and Aaron were speaking against Moses and were rebuked by God for their arrogance, it seems that Miriam never got quite over being the older sisters. Let me read to you that interesting passage from Numbers. You may know it already as readers of sacred scripture, but just to remind you of this um, fascinating episode. Yes, this is Numbers 12, in which Miriam and Aaron rebel. Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman he married. It seems to be a second wife after Zipporah. They said, does God speak only through Moses? Does he not also speak through us? And God heard it. Moses was a very humble man, more so than any man on the face of the earth. Suddenly God said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, You three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them went out. 
Then the Lord descended in a cloud of pillar of clouds, stood at the entrance of the tent, and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them came forward, he said, Listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I will make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so, my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. And so why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The Lord's anger burned against them, and he left. And as the cloud moved away from the tent, Miriam's skin suddenly became diseased, white as snow. When Aaron turned to her, he saw that she was diseased and said to Moses, My Lord, please don't hold against us the sin we have foolishly committed. Please don't let her be like a dead baby whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses said, God, please heal her. And so the episode ends. We see even, it seems that Miriam never quite got over being the baby, the older sister. The biblical text does not provide us with much information about Miriam's personal life. We know little of her marriage, although it is clear that she was married and we learn little about her offspring. Again, the knowledge we have is almost entirely from the legend and the agotic tradition. And according to this source, Miriam was, to a greater or lesser degree, the maternal forebearer of the king of Judah. Legend tells us her husband was the tribe of Judah, and her descendants established the leading families from which David, King David, the progenitor of the Messiah, was ultimately descended. According to the same tradition, Moses, Arian, and Miriam bear the three crowns upon which Israel is blessed, the crown of prophecy, which is Moses, the crown of priesthood, which is Aaron's, and the crown of kingship, which is Miriam. It is held that Bezalel, the builder of the sanctuary, was one of Miriam's descendants, and that Hur, the enigmatic man who stood at Moses' side during the battle against the Amalekites, may have been her son. All this exemplifies the close bond between the father of the tribe of Judah and the family of Amram. Aaron's wife, for example, was the daughter of the head of the tribe of Judah at that time. However, beyond all other ties, Miriam was essentially the one who felt responsible for Moses' welfare. In a famous Talmudic story, it is said that Miriam prophesied to her parents that they would bear a son who would be the redeemer of Israel. The Torah tells us in Exodus 2 that Miriam was standing afar off to watch what fate would befall the baby Moses and was therefore attempting to verify her own prophecy. 
That is to say, Miriam felt responsible for Moses not only as a sister in the family sense, but according to this tradition, in the more important role of heralding of his coming. The role of harbinger of redemption is a repeated theme. Jewish tradition has it that Elijah the prophet would be the forerunner of the priest. Elijah Pincus, the righteous priest, was the precursor of the Messiah. And the sons of Amram are, each in his own way, redeemers and the forerunners of the ultimate redeemer. During the exodus from Egypt, the theme of the doubled herald is expressed in the division of roles between Aaron and Miriam. The tidings of redemption have two distinct aspects, paralleled in the tradition of Abraham and Sarah, where Abraham converts the women and Sarah converts the women. Abraham converts the men and Sarah converts the women. More than once, the sages have pointed out that in almost everything concerning the exodus from Egypt, it is the men who seem to follow after the women, both in leaving Egypt and receiving and submitting to the law. This recognition of the special role of women in Exodus in stimulating and inspiring the men appears in several places in the Midrash, and the tradition that the women did not participate in the sin of the golden calf persisted for many generations. For this reason, women were accorded their own festival, according to the sages, the new moon, which was not celebrated by the men, and at which time they abstained from work. Indeed, in certain communities, the tradition continues today, at least in regard to some labor. It is probably linked to women because of the idea of monthly renewal as part of the ritualization of the menstrual cycle. According to this concept, Miriam is the first herald of redemption, and hence her role in guarding Moses in the ark. Not only did she physically protect it from danger, but she also stood afar to wit what would be done to him, namely to see what would happen because her role was that of guarding the vision of that was to be. She took upon herself the role of herald, and more than this, the role of ensuring that the tidings of this dream, this prophecy, were fulfilled. You know, both your tradition and my tradition speak of redemption. Redemption is often a stormy, revolutionary process and usually a threatening and dangerous one. In order for an individual or a nation to be redeemed, there must be preparation. The groundwork must be established. Redemption has no significance for one who is unprepared for it. To be redeemed from Egypt, the people of Israel had to pass through several stages of spiritual preparation in order to become willing to leave it was not enough to suffer torments, since the bitterness of Israel alone could not suffice as an instrument of redemption. A framework of expectation must ensure the future greatness could be accepted. Many commentators claim that Miriam's name, which means 
marur, bitter, is symbolic and expresses the bitterness of Israel's life in Egypt. Be that as it may, her role in a decisive situation where Moses was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter was to ensure that the Redeemer was not lost, that the dual relationship with the people would be kept. He would be on one hand in the king's house and on the other remain bound to his people and to his birthright. This part of the story, this duality, symbolizes the essence of Miriam's role as the older sister, not only of Moses and Aaron, but in a broader sense of the whole nation. She was not the mother of redemption, but she made redemption possible. Her task was to know the priorities, to recognize the things that must be protected and preserved, and to act accordingly. Later came also the ability to direct and control events and situations to combine things correctly. These combinations were probably not decisive in themselves and would likely have arranged themselves unaided. Only their impact, their course, and their mutual exchange required Miriam's intervention to become significant. In the exodus from Egypt, it is most significant that it was forbidden or impossible to bring about redemption or revelation by force. At every stage, there must be acquiescence and deep faith. And for this, the nation needed the very prophets who grew from its ranks, Aaron and Miriam, to prepare them for the events leading to the revelation on Sinai. The Torah could be revealed but not without a willingness to accept that revelation. In the Torah, Yocheved was the mother of the Redeemer, and Miriam was the one who helped redemption to be created. She was, as it were, the midwife, which is how her role is seen in the tales. Midwife does not herself give birth, but is essential to the process of birth. She sees the newborn safely into the world. The Exodus has been interpreted as a second chance for humankind. It is as though God were saying here that at the time of the sin of the tree of knowledge, the commandment to abstain from giving from eating its fruit was given to Adam, and the sin was the sin of Eve, who did not herself receive the commandment. Therefore, in order to receive the Torah in a sense to be created afresh, Israel must be approached from the opposite direction. Not through man, but through women. This new combination of events and forces would be more stable according to the tradition because despite all later errors and deviations, the role of Beit Yaakov, the role of women, in receiving the Torah was expressed in we will do and we will obey. And this remains the significant and existential task of women throughout the generation. Herein, too, lies the essence of Miriam's role in the Torah. She is the big sister who watches and worries and prepares for the future, an essential and fundamental process of the Hebrew redemption. I know we know of Moses. I know that Moses hogs most of the air related to the Exodus epic. But this morning... I wanted to expand on our understanding of the three siblings 
and to chat with you a bit about the role of Miriam and the role of women in the redemptive process of the Hebrew people and in its ever-longing for a second opportunity for redemption. For Jewish faith and Jewish facts, this is Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you a good day. Shalom.